Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. Today, we're talking about a birth journey with various twists and turns. My guest has a background in gymnastics, dance, and cross-country, and joined the Army after graduating from high school. She's now a health coach and advocate and mother of two, joining us today to share her two very different experiences with childbirth. Gigi Gibbs, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Berlin. I'm grateful to be here. And congratulations. It wasn't that long ago that you gave birth to your second, most recent. No, just four weeks ago. Wow. So the story is still fresh. Very much. <laughs> uh, let's start at the beginning. Where are you from? Uh, originally from Dayton, Ohio. How was growing up in Ohio? It was pretty uneventful compared to living in Los Angeles. I can say that for sure. <laughs> Quieter? Quieter. Definitely more trees, more green. Far less diversity than here in Los Angeles and cold, very cold. I knew when I was like four years old, I wanted to leave the cold of Ohio and move to California. That's one of the things you can't beat around here, but I do miss the trees. Yes. I miss not having to go to a park to really hang out with trees. Yesterday was the first day to give a bottle and I got to go off by myself and I was wondering, what am I going to do? Normally I would go on a hike or something, but so I just went and sat in the car Oh wow! <laughs> and, and I drove to a park. And as soon as I got there, my husband sent me a message. Okay, come back. We need you. Well, at least you had a little quiet time. Yes. Um, you grew up pretty athletic. Yes. Most of my siblings, I, I've got quite a few siblings and I'm the youngest of them all. And everybody had some sort of role in sports and so that was always a big part of my life what kind of sports did you get into uh i got into gymnastics uh when i was in third grade and what came with that was just dance because that's a natural part of that and then i got into cheerleading in high school and cross country and track and field when i was in middle school and in high school so sports and athletics has always been a part of my life for you, did that athletic lifestyle also come with like an overall healthy lifestyle, eating healthier and other elements of health? I totally think so. Just even from early times in middle school, coaches talking to us about how to eat before a competition. That was like my first introduction to carb loading. <laughs> <laughs> but really, it got real in nutrition when I went into the service. That was when I got serious about it and really understood the impact of food and what it looks like. Did some of your siblings also join the army? It's funny. I do have siblings that were from the military, but I'm not a typical military family. Typically when you say military family, you think of someone who moves around every three years, but fortunately I didn't have that as my life, but I did have one brother who went to West Point, a sister before me who went into the air force, a sister after me who went into the army. Uh, I grew up around an Air Force base. My mom worked in contracting for the government with the Air Force. So it was a part of my life. I was in Air Force ROTC. How was the experience for you? Oh, not one I would want to repeat, but (laughs) that's a whole nother topic. But it, it accomplished my two primary goals, which were to get out of Ohio and to get money for college. What did you study in college? Uh, when I was in for undergrad, I did business and nutrition and kinesiology as a minor. And then for grad school, I did public health. Okay. And now you're a health coach and an advocate for health. What does that mean 
practically? Practically, I'm a work-life balance coach, and I really work with high-performing women, and I help them adjust their relationship with work and life demands and help them be able to show up their very best in all their different roles, whether it's mother, employer, boss, business owner, etc. I mean, work-life balance seems more important than ever and just like the dream that's so hard to achieve. So that must be both challenging and rewarding when you're able to do it. Indeed. And I love taking on this notion that you you can't have it or that if you're a working mom, then you're compromised somehow. Or if you're a stay-at-home mom, then you're compromised another way. To me, that's BS. And I like disproving that every day. Hmm. You know, we should talk. In terms of having kids, did you always see yourself having kids? No, not at all. (laughs) Oh, really? Because you came from a big family. I came from a big family and I, yeah, I didn't see myself getting married. I called it the M word for many years. It wasn't until I was about 30 that I was even open up to the idea of getting married. I just wasn't one of those people that grew up with this idea of, oh, I want to have kids and this is what my wedding is going to look like. That just was not me. I just saw myself living a different life. Do you know what the aversion was? Um, I think part of it was growing up with so many siblings and, and then also being a child of divorce. Mm-hmm. To me, I just saw, okay, this is how that's going to go. So I don't want any part of that. Well, eventually something must have changed your mind. Actually, what it was, was when I went to college and I saw positive examples of marriage in my friends' parents' lives. That was, that was really eye-opening to me to see, okay, this, this can go a different way. Hmm. Where did you meet your husband? I was working, I was working in sports and sports broadcasting and I needed, (laughs) it's a funny story, an editor like totally flaked on me and I called my mentor because I had a deadline and I said, oh, I need to get this done and there's no one here to cut this tape for me. And he said, come to the studio, I'll help you out. And sure enough, the person who was working the overnight was my soon-to-be husband, well, much later-to-be husband, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first time you met? It wasn't the first time we met. The first time we met, I was getting a tour of the studio and I was an intern and he was the one person that the person giving the tour stopped and introduced me to because my husband's a runner and I was a runner and the guy giving the tour was a runner and said, oh yeah, you guys should talk and both of you should come join my running team. And so that was, that was the first time I met him. The cardio connection. Yes. Yeah. And, and then that night he was working the overnight. And so he totally saved me and helped me get this video cut. And at the time, this was way back when like Palm had cell phones and he had the newest Palm. (laughs) It was the, the Palm Pre and I was like, oh, cool. And I was playing with his phone and he totally pulled this line on me and was like, well, since you like my phone so much, why don't you put your phone number in there? (laughs) And I was like, oh, damn, he's got me. (laughs) (laughs) And now look where you are. Right. Nobody has a palm. (laughs) How soon after that did you guys get married? Oh, gosh, almost four years. It was was a year and a half before I even went on a date with him. (laughs) Oh, wow, so it built up over time. 
Yes. He asked me out and I told him, let's keep our friendship at work. And did you sometime in there start to reconsider having kids? Um, well, by then I had decided I was open to marriage. And, and even after we were, when we were getting married, I was talking to him about having children because I knew on one hand I had what's called PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I knew women who had that can have struggles with fertility. And obviously since I'd never tried to have children before, I didn't know what I would encounter. And so this was after we were married and I was talking with him about that. And he said, it's either when we were engaged or after we were married. I don't remember, but I'll never forget what he said in response. And he just stopped and looked at me and, was, and just said, I'm, I'm not marrying you for your fertility. <laughs> and it was just a moot point with him. He's like, you know, whether we have kids or not, that's not why I'm marrying you. So, oh, that's really sweet. So kids, even after we got married was still a 50, 50 thing for me. And I was leaning on the side of this is something I don't want to regret not having done. Hmm. And I don't want to look back and say, Oh, I wish I would have done it. And I, I gradually opened up to it. But one thing that was really pressing on me was one thing I knew about my husband was I knew this man was made to be a father. Oh, he <laughs> it, sounds it was, great. It was really weird because when we were dating, him. Oh, well, if I could get him to, Although you don't, do you see non-pregnant people? Sure I do. Yeah, okay. I'd be happy to take care of them. Yeah, we would, when we were dating, or just anytime, kids are just drawn to this man. We'd be at a restaurant and kids would just pop up over the other side of the, what do you call that? Oh, the little booth? <laughs> yes, the booth. Yeah, I haven't been in a restaurant in so long. <laughs> Nobody has. And they would just, can I play with you? Or we'd be standing in line somewhere and kids would just gravitate to him and he was just a natural. I'd watch him at his nieces. They'd, they'd have birthday parties with like Barbie dolls and tons of toys everywhere. And all the other adult men would be off watching other things and sports or something. Even, even his niece's own father, she wouldn't even be in there, but he would be there with her, like watching her open every single present. And so I was like, wow, this man was just made to be a father. Oh, that's so, so, so nice. I knew that about him before I knew I wanted to marry him. <laughs> mm -hmm. Look, on that note, let's take a little break. When we come back, we'll talk about your first pregnancy and birth experience. Don't go anywhere. Okay. We'll be right back. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart. Literally. Omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new Omega-3 Soft Gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell. Perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet.
Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Gigi Gibbs. Okay, so you went from not wanting to get married, not having kids, to being married and being pregnant. Was with the PCOS, did it in fact turn out to be difficult to get pregnant? I was not at all. I got pregnant in the third month of trying. And which is average. Yeah, which is great. I didn't have to have any interventions. My endocrinologist said it was really just attributed to my lifestyle and just being able to mitigate those factors with diet and exercise, really. How was your pregnancy, your first pregnancy? Um, Overall, it was a really good pregnancy. I had pretty classical pregnancy symptoms, you know, this heightened sense of smell, food cravings for things that I hadn't eaten in a long time, food aversions. <laughs> Chicken really grossed me out. Oh, really? Oh, yes. It just the sight of it, just ooh. And before I even knew I was pregnant, I, my husband and I were on vacation, and I was just like, we're at a restaurant, and I was like, I want a steak. <laughs> <laughs> and mind you, I didn't even buy beef, didn't bring it in the house wasn't even a part of my diet. I, I was vegan for a long time before. wasn't vegan at the time, but it was just wasn't something that was a part of my life. And, and again, before I knew I was pregnant, I'd eaten like three, no, it was four dozen eggs in less than 12 days. Hmm. I was craving. That's all I wanted to eat during my pregnancy was like Do you eggs. feel, in, uh, in retrospect, do you feel like your body was demanding certain nutrients for the pregnancy? Oh, totally. Well, I knew... After after I got into care, I found out that I was had low iron, oh. so that explained why I was wanting beef the whole time. <laughs> Especially if you couldn't have chicken. Yes, and I had some of the typical fatigue and a little bit of nausea, not a whole lot, but I, overall, it was a good pregnancy. But when did nothing... you start thinking about birth and birth options, or a vision for how you wanted to give birth? Um, I knew I'm a pretty crunchy woman just in general. (laughs) (laughs) And so I knew I've always been in a place of prevention and using alternative health as a way of just daily living. So I knew early on, I wanted to work with a midwife and have a home birth. So that was something already in my brain. (laughs) Was your husband on board with that plan too? No. Oh. <laughs> At the time, we were living in a one-bedroom apartment in Santa Monica, so everybody was really close to each other. And so his concern was, oh, he didn't want the noise and just want our privacy invaded and didn't want to be intruding upon our neighbors. So, so it's it more about the comfort of the environment than the medical concerns? Well, until I took him to a birth center, that's what I thought it was. (laughs) And so I took him to a birth center and he was just like, well, where's all the equipment? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, that's not how it works. That's the whole point. (laughs) Right. I mean, a birth center is essentially giving birth in somebody else's apartment. Exactly. And uh, so we ended up coming to a compromise and the compromise was we would do a hospital birth with all the equipment that he felt more comfortable with, with a midwife. And so that was the, the plan for the first what, birth. Was that comfortable for you? Um, the plan as I was pregnant was, it, it went fine. But then once it came down time to have the baby, it was not comfortable at all. How did your labor start? 
Um, I didn't start. I was due on a Thursday, and so I didn't have the baby. And so the following Monday, I went in for just a regular check, and my midwife said she wanted me to have an ultrasound to check my fluids. And the doctor said, oh, your fluids are low. You need to go to the hospital right now and have this baby. And there was a, even a doctor in the ultrasound practice or a doctor who did your ultrasound? And, and there your was midwifery? Yes. She was a midwifery in a private practice. So it wasn't the UCLA midwives. Okay. She was in a private practice. Okay. So there were doctors in that practice too. Correct. Yes. And they were concerned about the low fluid. And now mm -hmm. you're just a few days past your due date. Is that right? Correct. I was four days past. Okay. Did you go to yeah. the hospital? No, they wanted me to go straight to the hospital. I, I walked home. I, I called my doula. I was really upset. I was crying. Like, no, oh. I don't want to. I wasn't having any signs of showing anything that I was at all ready. I wasn't even having Braxton Hicks or anything like that. And so she told me just to drink a lot of fluids. And she told me how subjective those tests are and just to wait it out as long as I could. And I got a phone call <laughs> from the hospital and my husband was already at the hospital. They had called him and told him. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Totally jumping the gun without even. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I got myself to the hospital and I agreed to have another fluid check ultrasound and it was like borderline and I was okay, like going home and not dealing with them. And my husband, who is much more, <laughs> much, I should say, much less risk averse than me, he wasn't comfortable with that idea. And again, we compromised. So I agreed to stay in the hospital for just monitoring. But as you know, and as you've talked about many times on your podcast, once you get checked in, all those magical things start to happen. <laughs> yeah. um, how did it play out for you? Oh, it literally, it played out just like the movie, The Business of Being Born. Uh, it literally did. It was just one intervention after the other. Did, so they wanted to induce you? Oh, they tried. They did the, the Cervidil. They induced me, stripped my membranes. I mean, after that time in the hospital, I had more things in my vagina than I cared to remember. <laughs> it was just you know, what was the, the thing they stick inside you to help you dilate. I mean, it was, it was literally just like the movie and then they induce me and then, Oh, it's still not going fast enough. You're on the clock type feeling. They tried to put, they did Pitocin on me and they couldn't really turn up the Pitocin because as soon as I would have a contraction, they would see that my son's heart rate was having deceleration. Oh, decels. Yes. So, um, and I never even felt any of these control. I mean, you have to understand the only thing that I was having labor wise was just vomiting and diarrhea. I wasn't feeling any contractions. So I you had no pain meds at this point? No, there was no, there was no pain other than I had this sharp pain. If I tried to sit down or lie down, I would just get this sharp shooting pain but no like labor pains, but no medication for pain. So no epidural, no epidural didn't get an epidural. Thank okay. You. But, and you yeah. weren't really feeling labor despite all their efforts to get things going. 
Right. Because one, I couldn't lay down. They couldn't turn up the Pitocin. I mean, I didn't even know I was having a contraction unless the monitor was telling me. <laughs> so basically by the third day, it was just a lot of dehydration and vomiting and diarrhea. That's all it was for like two and a half days. And then finally they told me that, you know, just like in the movie, oh, we need to do what's best for the baby. And so told me they, they recommended doing a C-section and that I needed to have one. And they were calling it an emergency C-section. And I'm looking back at all this with hindsight to realize that if it was an emergency, we wouldn't have waited for my husband to come back from lunch. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, well, you know, there's only two types of C-section nomenclature wise. There's scheduled cesarean and emergency cesarean. And, but there should be a third one called non-scheduled non-emergency C-section, which is, it sounds like what you had. That's a really great classification. <laughs> How is that experience for you? Oh, it was totally against everything I wanted in terms of how I envisioned birth going. I was a hypno mom, so I had all of the hypno babies training under my belt, expecting to be able to use all of that. Um, I mean, I don't even have ibuprofen in my house. <laughs> so the idea to go to that extreme of an intervention was just really against how I live and what I had envisioned for the birth. And just the outcomes that I'd read about, I didn't want my son to miss out on just, the, you know, all of the vaginal seeding that was going on in my body and getting all of that, those healthy bacteria. I didn't want my body to have to go through that kind of recovery and surgery. Um, so I was not happy about it. Sorry. Did it go well? I mean, mechanically? Mechanically, it went well. There was... You know, I went in at 12 o'clock and my son was out by 1219. My husband was there. They got him out, took him off somewhere. I just remember screaming, where's my baby? Where's my baby? And, and it just seemed like such a long time to be able to see and hold my, my baby. And they had to take him off to the side somewhere, apparently, and get him to respond. But as soon as he responded, his APGAR scores were like nines. And he was fine. He was healthy. Yes, he was healthy. He was fine. They'd said his cord was around his neck, but other and his head was quote stuck. They had like this little indention on the side of his head. It was stuck against my sacrum. So, how was your recovery? Physically, it was fine. I didn't really have any issues physically, but the bigger struggle was the mental and emotional. Just from the, the sadness of the type of birth that I'd had, it just a sense of disappointment, I guess. And yeah, that took a while. And, and I guess it was disappointing because somewhere inside, I just felt this wasn't necessary. It shouldn't have gone down like this. Like I didn't see a true medical need for all of those things to have happened. So that's, that's why there was that lingering sense of sadness and disappointment. That's understandable. How have you worked to, to process through that? Oh, journaling, some therapy. And then even during my second pregnancy, some things came up that I didn't even realize were there. <laughs> mm. And so I processed it then. And part of it was, okay, 
when I got pregnant the second time was really harnessing my power and well let's um let's jump into that but let's before we do that let's take a break and then talk about your most recent pregnancy and birth experience okay we'll be right back Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We are talking to Gigi Gibbs. Okay, so the great news is the positive outcome from your first pregnancy that you and the baby were both healthy. You recovered well physically, but it left you um, a little bit emotionally scarred, it sounds like, which is very, very common. It's something that I see almost every day in the practice. And then you started to talk about taking that experience into your second pregnancy and harnessing the power that it gave you. Can you talk more about that? Yes. I approached my second pregnancy with a lot more (laughs) determination and less of a willingness to compromise on the things that were important to me. And chief among that was how I was going to have my child. So Um, now you have a record going to this pregnancy as already having had a cesarean birth. Yes. So this one would be a trial of labor after cesarean or vaginal birth after cesarean. So you had one more hurdle to overcome. What kind of support did you look for this time? That's a good question. Uh, Well, luckily, I have a really good group of fellow crunchy mom friends (laughs) and girlfriends. And so I had awesome support in that area. Um, my husband, on the other hand, he was not on board with this idea. He was totally against it because of the previous cesarean factor. So against the idea of doing a vaginal birth at all or doing a vaginal birth outside the hospital? Outside of the hospital. I'm sorry, okay. I should have stated that I did not want to go back to a hospital. And I was still wanting to have a midwifery model of care and I wanted to have a home birth. And that's just because I knew my body was capable of this and I wanted to give my body the best opportunity without the potential for interventions. And he just was not comfortable at all with the even one out of 1000 potential risk of uterine rupture. Wow. So how do you come to some kind of place where you both feel comfortable. You sound very uncomfortable going back to the hospital. He sounds very uncomfortable not being in the hospital. Ideally, you end up on the same page. I mean, unfortunately, it doesn't always happen. You're right. And and it didn't happen that way at all, really. I really forged ahead with my plan. I interviewed midwives and I had an idea early on who I was going to work with just from A, listening to your show and be my other mom friends who had worked with midwives and had successful home births. So I interviewed midwives, and when I had narrowed down who I wanted to work with, I had the three of us meet, the midwife, my husband, and he came into it still very resistant and against the idea of having a home birth. And we met with one particular midwife who really, she was wonderful in many ways. One, she told me, she taught me a lot about my body and how my history of athleticism and sports and how I'd been taught to hold my body as a gymnast and a dancer kind of inhibited 
the natural progression of birth. <laughs> and I think a lot of people was, don't realize that. I never did. I was, I, you know, she, she spent all of like maybe five minutes just looking at my birth records. And, and then she just asked me one, didn't know anything about me and just said, what kind of sports did you do growing up? <laughs> and yeah. it was pretty, and she just taught me about how, you know, when you're a gymnast and a dancer, you're taught to hold your body up and gird everything and hold it all in, which is just the opposite of what you need for giving birth. To open just, and relax and surrender. Yes. And let go and to soften. Yeah. So, that day, I just stopped going to the gym immediately. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and, well, because, I mean, think about it. When you're, well, you, you may not have experienced this, but a woman, as soon as you're pregnant, you're told you need to get ready for the marathon of birth, and it's a workout in of itself, and you need to be prepared. So, hey, I was game. Oh, so you really took it in stride. I mean, there's two parts to that. There's the strength and the endurance, but then there's also the flexibility and the openness and also the mind component, being able to slow things down and relax. Yes. Well, I, I did the physical component to <laughs> the nth degree for sure. How far along in your pregnancy were you when you picked a midwife? Um, well, that's that's kind of a tricky answer. Let's just say there were like six midwives before I had my midwife. <laughs> oh, really? You went through a lot. Well, so I had this mid meeting with this midwife and my husband, and she was a real paradigm shifter. She told my husband, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be home birth or nothing. And she said, we had options, and we can approach it with an ABC mentality. Plan A being, we labor at home, and if everything goes well, we continue on and have the baby at home. Plan B being we could labor at home, and then if we notice there's a shift or something could be threatening mom or baby, then we go to the hospital and we can continue birth there. Or plan B, for example, if we had an ultrasound at 37 weeks and saw that there could be a potential risk factor, then we could just jump to plan B and have a VBAC at the hospital. And so she presented all of these options with plan C being we could have a trial of labor at home and then ultimately we end up at the hospital or we have a planned C-section if we see something. And she introduced this idea of working in tandem with an OB and that way she as the midwife could have a lot more information about what's going on with my body, what's going on with the baby, and we could make informed decisions along the way, especially as we get down to the final month of pregnancy. And my husband was really open to that. You know, after hearing that it wasn't going to be this extremist all or nothing home birth or die approach, he was on board. And the, well, that's refreshing. Yes. I mean, it must give you some sense of calm. Oh, I was like grinning ear to ear when we left that <laughs> meeting. <laughs> and the other thing she told us to do, so she, she was helpful in that she taught me about my body informed me about my birth and then she got my husband on board and then the third thing she did was she introduced me to this awesome OB because she told me as a black woman she said you know there's we talked openly about the just the maternal mortality statistics and risk for black women and so she introduced me to this African-American OB her name's Dr. Affleck I don't know what I'm saying names. I'm hoping to uh, meet up with her soon and maybe even interview her. She sounds amazing. I haven't been able to connect with her yet. Yeah. So the midwife told me, go meet with this doctor. 
tell her what you want and the things that you don't want to be discriminated against for your age, all of those past cesarean, all of these things. Because I was 40 at the time that I got pregnant and then 41 by the time I was going to give birth. The second time. Mm-hmm. Did and you feel like those things played a role in your first birth experience? Uh, I wouldn't your say age or your race. Definitely not my age because I got pregnant with no problems and I didn't have any end of pregnancy complications regarding my health. So certainly nothing to my age race. I don't think so. I mean, I didn't, for one, I was in a whole other space while I was <laughs> going through the labor, but I don't, I don't personally think that it played into it. But for you, I mean, it, me. it, right. It clearly does for a lot of women. I mean, the numbers are, you know, astronomical in terms mm-hmm. of the outcomes for black women and babies compared to white women and babies. And we did a whole episode on that, but it's good to know that you didn't feel that that was a part of the treatment that you got. No, I didn't feel that was a part of it, but I, I wasn't going to dismiss it as not being a risk factor for the second time. So it was still definitely on my radar. And in fact, as soon as I knew I was pregnant, I went into care with an African-American OB, just knowing that African-American women have, you know what, four to five times more likely than white women to have a pregnancy-related death. So while I was looking for my midwife, I was fully aware of that and wasn't going to go into the second pregnancy blind of that and just try to mitigate any potential for that. Sure. So it sounds like you found like really great support in terms of your midwife and your backup OB and their willingness to work together. Yes. And once I met with the OB and then called my insurance and my insurance was going to pay for the midwife. So everything, my husband even said, great, call the midwife and let's go. And so I'm reaching out to the midwife and she never got back to me. Oh no. No, like two and a half weeks went by and I still had never, I hadn't heard back from her, no voicemails, no texts, no email, nothing. And I was just like, oh, great. So I had to start all over again. Oh my goodness. And yes. And so here I am where we drove like across town to go meet another midwife we go downtown and we're in the middle of this meeting and I'm, and she's asking, you know, what do you want for your birth? And, and so I told her about this ABC approach and right in the middle of the interview, my husband just says, Oh, well, I'm not on board for that. <laughs> and I stop and I'm just like, on board for what? And he says, I'm not on board for the home birth. Oh, I thought he was before. <laughs> and ooh, let me tell you, I just look at him I'm like, what are we here for? <laughs> and it was so, I don't know what happened in his brain. I don't know if something triggered in him because it was at least a 30 minute drive. I mean, this is pre COVID. So there was LA traffic hmm. to where we were going. And we had discussion the whole way about questions we were going to ask. And he had even asked the woman, about payment policy of if we have the birth at home versus if we have it home and then have to transfer to the hospital. Like he was asking questions that showed he knew what we were there for. So then to just in the middle of this meeting to say, Oh, I'm not on board for that. Totally threw me and this midwife off. Just threw me off. Yes. And he just was adamant that, Oh, I was never on board for a home birth. And I'm like, what are you talking about? 
you, I even showed him the text message where he was just like, great, call the midwife. Let's do this. That's so stressful on so many levels. Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, you must have got him back on board somehow. Um, Ish. Well, I tried. I continued to meet with midwives, and I had to go into the meeting now with this new preface of, oh, and by the way, my husband is really on the fence with this and asking the midwife to perhaps you as the medical expert can put him at ease and answer his concerns. And so subsequent meetings, uh, you know, the next midwife we partnered with, she was totally on board to take on that task of, of working with my spouse who was nervous about the health risks of doing a VBAC at home. And she really turned into almost like marriage counselor slash mediator because <laughs> at this point the marriage was extremely stressed my husband was not at all supportive during my pregnancy and yeah so we were with this other midwife this is like now the third one and I thought things were on in a good place and then he emailed her in the middle of the night and without even telling me and just told him he wasn't on board he wasn't on board with a home birth, to which she responded, well, I'm not going to work with a part with a couple who doesn't have both partners oh, no. on the same page. And so at this point, we are now into COVID having happened. And I had to scramble again to find another midwife. And I reached out to midwives that I had interviewed early on. And they were, you know, one in particular wasn't, she was full. And so COVID is in place and I found a midwife woohoo, and paid my deposit, all of that, or we get going. And then she tells me that one of the midwives that she's in partnership with got COVID. And so she was taking on her cases and she gave me my money back. And so I had to find another midwife. <laughs> what a roller coaster. Wow. Yes. And during all this, I'm like, doing this covertly. I'm still seeing, at this point, I'm seeing Dr. Aflac as my primary caregiver. I'm doing this covertly without my husband's involvement because at this point, we were just really at odds relationally. Oh so, so stressful. And luckily, I had interviewed enough midwives prior to, like when I first got pregnant, I reached out to my last and final midwife because a lot of people midwives were either going one of two routes. They were inundated because of COVID happening and they were inundated with people jumping ship and not wanting to go birth in hospitals, or they were being extremely particular because there were so many people coming to them with the reaction to COVID. And so these last group of midwives I reached out to, they knew I was home birth determined and had that makeup prior to COVID. So they took me on. <laughs> Well, and a lot of people did switch to home birth uh, because of COVID in this area. We're over our time, but I really want to get into your birth story and see how this played out. So let's take an extra break when we come back, find out how things finally went down. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast for a bonus segment. Wow, a lot of twists and turns that even though I had seen you, I didn't really know some of that was going on. 
what happened in the end? So you're down to your last midwife. I'm down to my last midwife and my midwives weren't even attuned to the fact that my husband wasn't on board. I just was like, okay, I'm going to have to deal with that when I get there. I mean, I went into care with these midwives when I was like 34 weeks pregnant. <laughs> so it was that far down the train. Wow. And in my last month of pregnancy, I just had this sit down with my husband and just said, look, you know, and I, and I tried to come from a place of compassion and love and acknowledged his fears and the needs that he needed to have met, which were his ultimate thing about safety and his fear of a uterine rupture. And I sat him down and I talked with him and I told him, I understand that. And here are my concerns and here are my needs. And I need to be in a place where I can feel mentally safe and not on guard and so forth. And because I'm the one that ultimately has to push this baby out, I need to give a little bit more consideration to what my needs are. And I tried my hardest, Dr. Berlin, to not pull that card of it's my body, so I'm going to make the decision. I tried to make it as compassion-filled as possible, but that still didn't resonate with him. Um, and he was still not on board and, yes, just went to some unpleasant places. I'm so <laughs> and sorry. so I found a doula and I told my midwives it was just going to be like old school birthing where it was just the women <laughs> and the men were just not going to be there. And I told my midwife because I had a three-year-old that my husband was just going to be off taking care of our son because we also have to remember this is COVID. So we couldn't just go, couldn't bring a babysitter, couldn't go send my son to grandma's house. So he's going to be off providing childcare and it's just going to be midwives, doulas and mom. And, and I even told my husband, I told him I didn't want him to be at the birth. A part of it was just the energy of his fear. I couldn't have that in this space. And I didn't want to have to be on for him. If you know what I mean? Meaning if, yeah. if I'm going through labor, I didn't want to have to feel like I needed to shrink myself or, downplay what I was feeling and experiencing because I didn't want to make him go to a place of fear. And I just wanted to be able to be fully in my body without having to worry about his worry. And then I just didn't want the energy of fear in the space. So I just told him I didn't want him to be, he could be at the house by this time we'd moved, by the way, we weren't in a single family home. And I told him he could be at the house and that was fine, but I just didn't want him in the room. And he was still very defensive at this point and was just like, well, I'm just going to leave anyways. <laughs> I'm just going to take our son and I'm just going to leave and you can just call me after the baby's born. That was kind of his defensive response. And yeah. It's it was really, definitely I mean, so much stress internally and externally. I can't imagine what kind of pressure on her, especially going into, you know, a birth where you're trying to have a very different experience, where you're trying to really surrender, let go, relax, open up. Mm -hmm. Sounds like just so many things were stacked against you. How did your labor start the second time? Um, it started, well, it's interesting. I was due on June 1st, so that was a Monday. And so the Sunday prior, so what day is that, May 31st? I started having contractions and I have to understand at the time, I didn't know what contractions felt like because I'd never felt them in my first never pregnancy. Had them. Right. 
And so I at least have, in telling this, I have hindsight to help me. <laughs> but it was literally just like Cinderella meets a vampire because it would be like 12 o'clock at night and I'd start getting these sensations, these contractions. And I'd already been having some Braxton Hicks. So I'd gotten to experience those. And I was like, oh, this is different. Okay. <laughs> and then as soon as the sun would come up 5 a.m., the contractions would stop. Oh, wow. And that just proceeded on. Um, I went past my due date and it was fast forward to Friday and the contractions didn't wait until midnight to start. It started about dinner time. And by then I'd had like five or six days of this. So I was like, okay, here we go. Just <laughs> another day. Was mm-hmm. it exhausting? It must be exhausting. Um, it wasn't exhausting because there was so much anticipation and excitement because I was like, Oh, okay. Is this, I mean, I thought for sure the baby was going to come on Wednesday. (laughs) I, you know, you got to remember, and there was also like the full moon going on at that time. So at that point I was just like, okay, when is it going to happen? So yeah, it was just the anticipation of, okay, is this it? Is this going to be it? Hmm. And so Friday we go into the night and then at about 1.30 in the morning, I was, you know, just going through my stages. I, you know, I was just doing my breathing, listening to my hypno babies tracks. And at about 1.30 in the morning, my husband comes in the room. And just so you know, he'd already been sleeping on the couch because I was sleeping with like eight pillows in the bed. <laughs> um, and he came in to check on me because he was just like, he's like, you were really loud that last time. Are you okay? And that was the first time he'd like, come to check on me during this whole week. Mm. And so I was like, um, yeah, it's, it's not going away. And it's, it's a little more intense. And he asked me, said, should we, you know, do you want to call somebody? And so I agreed. I waited about an hour and then I called my doula. It was that feeling of not wanting to bug somebody. <laughs> oh, wow. But that's what we're here for. Right. But you don't know. It's like, okay, is this going to be a, a false alarm or is this the real thing? And so I'd been timing them. And so I saw that they were about 10 minutes apart. And so I called my doula and she said to get in the water and to, you know, maybe take a shower or a bath. And that was awesome. That immediately. Oh, felt good to be in water. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Did you do a shower or a bath? I did a bath. I got Mm. in a bathtub and that just, the contractions still kept coming, but it just made them more bearable. (laughs) Yeah. And one thing I should say at this point, um, back on Mother's Day, which was May 10th, it was about three weeks before I was due, there was a shift with my husband. And he never told me directly, but I overheard him talking to his mom about the birth. And I overheard him saying, almost like defending the decision to have a home birth. And I oh. heard him telling his mom, yeah, she's going to have a doula and she's got two midwives and she's got an OB. So we're going to be fine. And yeah, the, we're just going to go forward with the homework. And I was yeah. in the bathroom and I overheard him having this conversation. Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh, yay. Just so in the nick of time. The last three weeks. Yeah, he was still adamant that he wasn't in support, but that he was going to be supportive. Okay. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. So his plan was. I'll be here to move the couches, to set up the pool. But when the midwives get here, I'm going to leave. So that was okay. still his position. So I'm in the water. 
and I call my doula after about three hours in the water and at this point it was about 5 30 in the morning and the sun had come up five o'clock came and the contractions didn't stop and they were still intensifying so no more vampire going back no into the coffin <laughs> <laughs> and I made the decision I told her to be here by 7 a.m because by that point my three-year-old son was going to wake up and my husband was going to have to go take care of him and she arrived right on time at seven o'clock and I got out of the water we did some labor in my birth room and then after about two hours we got back in the water that felt amazing again this time it was in the shower yeah. and then I converted that to just the bathtub <laughs> and I was listening to my hypno babies tracks and really just in my own space in my mind at one point and this was the where things really shifted uh, my son came in to just say hi and check on me and That's I'm still sweet. breastfeeding him and so he popped on the boob and oh my goodness Dr. Berlin that just <laughs> that shifted the labor from there a and year that was yes things Oxytocin. really took off and it wasn't even long he literally just suckled for maybe 45 seconds 60 seconds and I would just I was like okay get off me <laughs> and the contractions really escalated from there and I got back in the water and my doula says you know she she saw that the contractions were like five to six minutes apart she decided to call my midwife and my midwife she she asked me she said you know do you want me to just come check you and the way she asked was awesome because it made me feel like oh I'm not gonna be one of these false alarms because they had told me they said since you haven't given birth before it can take up to two days so I was prepared like okay this baby's not coming until Monday and so I was like okay yeah just come check me so that was the plan she was gonna come check me this was about 12 o'clock or so on Saturday and then things intensified <laughs> and I got to this point of like, you know, where is my midwife? Where is Are you ready? Yes. So she gets there and, and I can tell you in hindsight, she was stopped up because of all of the demonstrations going on and everything that was happening with the Floyd protest and, you know, the result of the whole murder. Mm. So she finally gets there and I'm just like, okay, just tell me, I just need to hear just four centimeters. Just give me four centimeters. <laughs> My doula thought she was going to say six to seven, and I just, I just need to know how much longer. And so my midwife, she puts on this glove, and she's like, don't even get out of the water. She's like, you're fine. Just stay right there. And she checks me, and she says, oh, you're fully effaced, and there's no cervix. You're dilated. Oh, my. Right. Wow. Right? And I said to her, I was like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> And, and one thing about my midwife, she's one of these OG midwives, and she's a real straight shooter. <laughs> and she just looks down to me over the rim of her glasses, and she just says, um, after doing this for over 44 years, I think I'm sure. <laughs> You're ready to push. Wow. That must be so exhilarating. I feel exhilarated. I was not ready to hear that. I mean, oh. I know that's what you want to hear, but I was just like, what? <laughs> So, yeah, what I had been going through was, like, the whole transition. That's when I was, like, literally crawling up the shower wall. <laughs> and so she told me, she said, okay, you're going to need to go to the bathroom. 
because I hadn't gone pee and I certainly hadn't done a number two in like two days. So they got me out of the water and told me to just sit on the toilet and try to pass everything there. And I'll never forget that moment because one, I was out of the water, so I was no longer mitigating the effects of gravity on my body and I could feel every contraction. <laughs> and then my stomach had this weird shape. It was like everything had been sucked out except the baby. So it wasn't this round orb that I was looking at. It was just this weird cube looking shape. And I was just looking at my stomach like, how is that going to come out of me? <laughs> how is that going to happen? And so I told them I wanted to lay down because it was just too painful to be upright. And uh, I went and laid down and I kept asking them, are, are you sure? And what am I supposed to be doing? Because from all the stories I'd heard on your show and other women, you know, my water hadn't broken. I wasn't feeling, quote, pushy. I wasn't making any of those noises that women make or grunting that I was expecting to hear. There was no physical cue telling me, oh, it's time to push this baby out. And finally, my midwife just leveled with me again and just said, look, Gigi, she said, the only thing standing in the way of that baby coming out is you. You just need to push it out. And she said, it can take two, sometimes three hours because you've never done this before. She said, I've got all day, so don't feel rushed. <laughs> just know that you just, you just got to push. So with that, I just knew, okay, this isn't going to be some physiological cue that's going to just take over my body. And I just had to go inside of a place mentally. In fact, I went to my pelvic floor doctor's office. I learned about on your show. Yay, woohoo. Because she had me doing these practice pushes. And so I just closed my eyes. I just used my mental visual game and just pictured myself on her table doing those practice pushes. And I pushed and... The first time the baby's head came out <laughs> and oh, wow. With one push? Yes. well, I skipped over the part that my bowels got cleared. I wanted to spare your listeners all of that. Oh, but yes. okay. So I pushed and then my bowels got cleared. <laughs> okay. And so then the real push came, the first real push came and that was, that was special <laughs> and the baby's head came out, but then I went and felt down there and there was no head. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, where did it go? Where's the baby's head? And my oh. midwife, she's like, well, I didn't want to tell you that was going to happen. <laughs> and she starts doing this demonstration about how gravity sucks the head back up. Oh, it went back in. Yes. And I'm like, so I have to do that again? <laughs> and she's like, yes. <laughs> and she told me that's the way your body prepares. It's like stretching before the exercise so you don't tear. And I was like, oh, my God. I had to. So I had to get my mind around the fact that I was going to do that again. And so I pushed a second time and this time the baby's head stayed out and it was just hanging there. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and so they showed me with a mirror and I'm touching the baby's head and it was just like, okay, one more push. And my midwife said, just one more good push and get those shoulders out. And that was literally the scream heard around my neighborhood. <laughs> oh yeah. That's intense. <laughs> and the the baby came out on the third push and it was right there. I mean, I caught the baby right there and 
put it right on my chest with my doula. And I was just like, what is it? What is it? Because I didn't know the sex. That was another thing I decided I wanted to wait. <laughs> and they're like, they wouldn't tell me. They said, look, look. And I'm looking down and I'm, you know, there was so much skin and there's the cord and everything. And there wasn't anything there. And I said, is it a girl? It's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like yes it's a girl and I was like I knew it and you know that was of course after the initial like I did it that was my first reaction I was like I did it I did it wow. and yeah it was less than 30 minutes of pushing was your husband with you in the end yeah so before I started pushing they had started to say you know go get her husband go get her husband and my doula started to leave and I said don't you leave no <laughs> like she had been one, I was holding her hand with one hand and she was, I was having prodromal back labor. And so she was like girding my back with her other hand and I was mm. like, don't you leave. <laughs> and so they sent the midwife's assistant to go get him and my son. And he declined going in. He said, um, I don't want to be there for that. Just come get me when it's out. <laughs> and he said he didn't want our son to see that. But I already told him I was okay with our son being there and, and him being there. But He's a little more squeamish, so he didn't want to be in there for the pushing. So as soon as the baby was out, they went and got my husband and my son. And it was a totally different experience. You know, my daughter was literally just went from being inside me to on my chest. No running to the other side of the room. Um, no screaming for where's my baby. <laughs> I was just in shock. Literally like, oh my God, I did it. <laughs> It's so amazing and beautiful. Like you did everything really on your own this time. By the time your midwives got there, most of the work was done. Uh, and I, I was not expecting that at all. <laughs> it's a beautiful story. And I don't know. I mean, does it help with your healing from your first experience? Oh, for sure. For sure. In the sense of knowing that my body was capable of doing something and not being able to exercise that ability, that right. And then the second time around, like really seeing what my body was capable of, having that sense of gratitude, that sense of accomplishment, and then just the sense of awe for our bodies and what they're able to do. I mean, I've been doing this for so long and that still never gets old. Right. For me. It's just amazing every single time. And and marriage-wise, it was healing. Yeah, I was wondering. That's uh, We're way out of time now, but I wondered how did that relationship recover afterwards? Well, the day of, my husband was, of course, calling everybody and bragging about his wife who had an unmedicated, no pain meds, whatever, birth. Mm -hmm. um, but then after a few days, we talked about the birth and what it was like for each of us. And, oh, the funny thing I forgot to tell you is the baby was born. She was born on our wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. That seems symbolic. Yes. And it was just, you got to remember, like, during this pregnancy, I was in a really dark, alone place regarding my marriage, just questioning the future of my marriage, questioning the decision to have another baby. I had to just kind of focus one thing at a time, just have the baby and deal with the marriage stuff later. So I was coming from that kind of a place to what does this mean that this baby was born on our wedding anniversary date? Um, and then realizing I've got this other life here that I'm sharing with my husband and the responsibilities that come with all of that. And we had a, a long talk one night and talked about what repair looks like, talked about 
each of our hurts and how we could mend those. And then since then, we've just been talking about, we come together after the kids are born, we hold hands, we talk about what we're grateful for from the day, we've been praying for each other together, and really just been conscious about our communication, <laughs> which has been our big stumbling block, and repairing a lot faster when we do have disagreements. Yeah. Well, it sounds what, like it's headed in a good direction. It's headed in a good direction for sure. I mean, what nobody tells you in becoming a parent is that the hardest part isn't about the sleep deprivation or the child. It's the relationship in your marriage. That's the real That's, challenge. Uh, <laughs> my wife who is a perinatal psychologist. I mean, it's her whole life work is trying to help people prepare the relationship for what happens once you add new family members to it. Mm -hmm. um, it's challenging, but it's a difficult challenge because it's hard to imagine you'll have that problem before you have it. And nobody really wants to invest resources, time or effort or money into a problem they don't have yet. But over and over again, we see that for many people, that's the hardest part of the whole transition. And that was so true for us after our first child. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm very grateful to you. You you obviously shared your story so open and honestly. You're a very strong, powerful person. I feel honored to know you and to have been able to work with you. And I know that your story in many levels, there's so many facets to your story, is going to help other people who listen to it and learn from it. So I'm grateful to you for a lot of things, but for sharing your story here with us on the podcast. Thank you. And I'm grateful for your platform. It helped me in so many ways. And I'm grateful that so many other women get the information. And this the empowerment that has come from so much of what I've learned. That's 100% the mission. At home, thanks for listening to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. If you like our program, please share us with your friends and leave us some feedback in your podcast app. We try to get to all of it, and it's meaningful to us. For more pregnancy and parenting-related media, visit informedpregnancy.com.